0: Hey, everyone. The It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode.
1: So we can help people solve those problems. We're uniquely positioned to help people solve those problems as a matter of fact. And I just think it's a a really important step in like building trust, but also just becoming essential to our communities.
0: Service journalism has gotten a bad rap over the years, but now with crises like the COVID-19 pandemic, people are beginning to recognize the true value of service journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell, this is It's All Journalism. Megan Griffith-Green is the service features editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Our friends at the American Press Institute told us about Megan and the paper's approach to service journalism, and we decided that she'd be a great guest to have on the podcast. And before I turn on the mics, I learned that she's from the Toronto area and knows some of our, our previous guests. So that's another great reason to have her in to talk. So welcome to It's All Journalism, Megan. Thanks.
1: It's great to be here.
0: So first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, how'd you get interested in journalism? How'd you end up at uh, the Inquirer?
1: That's a, <laughs> it's a big question. I took a very circuitous route to journalism. I actually studied art history and cultural studies for a long time. I focused on East Asia. And then I moved to Japan for a few years. And... Yeah, I'd studied like art and philosophy and religion and history and literature and film and all this good stuff. And then sort of like had this realization that I did not want to go into academia and sort of had to sit and have a bit of a sink. You're getting the long answer to this question by the way and, and realized that kind of like what I really loved was all about story. That I loved sort of telling the story of these paintings and like unlocking and unpacking their meaning. And I decided that, like, journalism was the best way to kind of connect that interest to the world. So I kind of moved back to Toronto and studied journalism, and that was 20 years ago. Since then, I've just worked in every corner of our industry, basically. I ran a fact-checking department for a magazine. I edited and wrote for magazines. I spent eight years at the CBC, which is Canada's Public Broadcaster, And I worked in investigative, I worked in documentary style TV, I worked in radio, I did some stuff with podcasts, although not as much as I'd like, and I did some social engagement journalism and then moved here about two and a half years ago to Philly. I'm a dual citizen. I'd never lived in the States before. But I started to get really interested in what was happening in local journalism specifically and just how essential local journalism is to its communities and this like real struggle that local journalism was and still is facing. And um, I just really wanted to be a part of that fight for its survival.
0: Welcome to the United States. It's not particularly the best time to be here with the COVID and everything, so... (laughs) Trust me that once that goes along, things will be perfect, and you'll you'll really get to see what this country is all about. (laughs) Actually, I think you get to see the best uh, best and worst of America when we're facing something like this.
1: I feel like it's been a time. It's been a time for the best and worst of America.
0: Yes. I think we can agree it's been a time, for sure. (laughs) So, you know, tell me about the Inquirer's service journalism. What is uh, the paper's approach? You know, actually, maybe, and how do you define service journalism?
1: Okay, sure. So I have I have a really expansive definition and view of what service journalism is. I mean, like broadly speaking, like if we're talking just fundamentals, like at the end of the day, service journalism is just anything that helps people solve a problem. You know, as journalists, like I think we're very good at pointing out problems. We're less good at helping people solve them. And so, like, I think of service journalism as anything that connects people, connects like what's happening in the news right now, what's happening in the world to our readers' lives. So at its core, it's just it's very, very reader focused. It's like, okay, so you know what's happening. So like, what can I do about it? You know, and I work with reporters across desks in, at the Enquirer and, you know, helping not just build service journalism from my desk, but also like work across the newsroom to help build that capacity kind of like newsroom wide. And I often like to point out like, you know, journalists are collecting this information naturally anyway in their in their reporting, right? There's an element of service journalism in a lot of stories. It's just sometimes it's like buried or it's kind of toward the bottom or it's, you know, you have to kind of like read to find it. And so service journalism is about like pulling that information, information out and like really making it the focus. It's like flipping that focus of our storytelling, like to the reader and their needs and thinking about, you know, where they are and what information they need right now. And so it's basically that perspective shift kind of like at its core. And that actually like encompasses like quite a lot of things. I mean, if you're sort of starting there, It could be anything from like, where can I buy vegan donuts to like, how do I prepare for my vaccine appointment to like, what do I do if my landlord tries to raise my rent, you know, you notice in all of those examples, like, I is at the focus of that, like, we're talking directly to the reader, and really addressing this particular problem that they're trying to solve. I also sort of, you know, under my kind of like broad umbrella of like what is service journalism generally, I tend to also count explainers in here too. You know, I think that there's a real service we can provide to readers and just like helping people understand like why we're talking about a thing, like why it matters, what they need to know about a topic. Like as journalists, we follow the horse race of news like very, very closely, but our readers don't always do that. And so anything we can kind of do to give them a little bit of a boost, like get them one rung up the ladder on a story. I think that that's a service that we can provide as well. So I kind of count that under service journalism too. Sorry, that's kind of a lot of of different ideas, but ultimately what we're trying to do is like create stories and resources for people to like help them, give them the information to live better and, and solve problems kind of in their lives.
0: And it takes in a lot of things, especially a couple of things that i that I'm glad that you mentioned the the idea of explainers and the usefulness that you know just this accumulated information you have about something, how to you know get a vaccine, you know how to prepare for your vaccine appointment, like you said, even you know providing a history to something that provides context to a larger story, you know super important, but you know necessary parts sometimes the journalism we don't always we don't always think about. What are some of the examples of service journalism stories that the Inquirer has done?
1: There are a lot, but I just actually, I have a little bit of a tangent I wanted to go on just before that to address that, to address something you just mentioned too. You know, it's interesting and it's something I think about a lot. You know, service journalism has not always gotten the respect that it deserves in our industry kind of in general. You know, I think we're seeing that shift now, but I think it's it's quite late. Like, you know, I think as an industry we've sort of had this sort of like teacher at the front of the class mentality. It's sort of like a broadcast mentality, right? A little bit like we know it's important. We're going to tell you what's important. You're going to sit there and kind of listen to what's important, and then we're going to kind of move on. and you know, that perspective, like, you know, is, I think there's a much broader recognition of now that tradition, that perspective has traditionally been pretty white and pretty male and kind of elitist and it's failing. Right. It's not working. It doesn't serve people. And, you know, coupled with that, like this sort of like service journalism, like news you can use, like how to articles like have often sort of been maligned. Right. They're associated with women's magazines, largely and they're kind of like considered as like not capital J journalism, you know, not important journalism. There's no, you know, Pulitzer for service journalism, right? There's a couple of dynamics there that I think that are really worth calling out, right? I mean, first of all, good service journalism is really hard to do well. It is really hard to to actually just like do a good job with this, to provide a good useful resource for people. It's not actually as easy as I think a lot of people assume. But also like the fact that it's associated with women's journalism, I think, is like especially kind of problematic. And I think what that actually points to is the fact that like traditionally a lot of journalism has sort of dismissed women and dismissed their readers lives in, in a way that I think we're starting to kind of catch up to now. Uh, but that kind of like it's at the core of, of service, service journalism, which is like in my daily life, what information can I can I use to make better decisions for myself and for my family in my life? So I'm happy to see that changing in a lot of ways, not just in service journalism, kind of like across newsrooms in general, but I think that's that dynamic of like shifting to be more listening focused, more community focused, more reader focused is like really long overdue. And just listening to the, to what people tell us about the information that they need right now and really centering more of our reporting on that. So sorry, that's a very long answer and a, a very long tangent.
0: Let's stay in this tangent for a second because you you actually okay. touch on a lot of a lot of things that we've talked about on this podcast before. You know, I've been doing this for eight years and it's really kind of amazing to see how the conversation has kind of shifted from the early days of, of digital journalism. You know, people are trying to understand how to communicate people, how to get listeners, how to get eyeballs on their website, you know, how to talk to people in social media. And the skill, the reporting skill that just keeps rising to the top is listening is the thing you should be doing is listening to what your, your readers are telling you and finding out what they need and then providing that to them. It seems like so simple, but it seems to be something that so many journalists kind of almost have to keep relearning as they do different types of story and cover, stories and cover different beats. And that, of course, ties into listening to different communities, listening to different people. So that you get to more accurately cover their stories and tell their stories, and the other thing you mentioned was broadcasting. This moving, this idea of moving away from we're the holders of the holy books and we're the ones who are going to tell you what you need to know, and actually being the recipient <laughs> and the sharer. You know, I think that's just something that you know where we're at now. That's that's kind of where we need to be, and it, and it addresses a lot of the problems that are going on in journalism. Not the least of which is is representation in newsrooms and in the stories that we cover.
1: Mhm. I know it's it's radio not television but I'm nodding pretty hard right now.
0: Oh no, I can feel <laughs> the waves come across. This isn't a radio, please. Uh, <laughs> this is this is whatever this is. But anywho, no no, I I agree with you 100 100% on everything you see, said in this this tangent. I mean, if journalism was was perfect and we were doing everything we were supposed to be doing, then you know, we wouldn't have really thing to kind of talk about. And, you know, I, I tell you, I have lots of things to talk about with people. Just because what's wrong with journalism right now and but at the other side of it is and this sort of goes to something that you said, is I mean, journalists wanna help. Journalists good journalism, you know, is a mission for a lot of people. And so service journalism you know, it seems like such a no no brainer let 's l- listen to people let 's give them the information they need to be better and The other thing I was thinking about is when you sort of said that you were talking about women 's magazines, the other thing is a lot of the the types of useful information sometimes is parsed off into specialty types of publications or outlets like you know financial news or or whatever. But you know you need that information uh, if you need that information then then you want to be able to find it where you get your news at so I think it 's a challenge for all types of outlets you know the inquirer included
1: absolutely i mean when you think about like you know what does it take for us to be more essential to our readers it feels like a really obvious place to start to say like what information do you need what do you need help with and how can we kind of be an access point to those answers right so we have access because of the nature of our jobs to a really wide range of experts right and so we can help people solve those problems. We're, we're uniquely positioned to help people solve those problems, as a matter of fact. And I just think it's a it's a really important step in like building trust, but also just becoming essential to our communities.
0: I was actually going to say trust, uh, but you said it before I do. That yeah, that's the the other thing is is the idea of you know what's real news and what is a source that you can trust. The source that you're going to trust is somebody who listens to you. And is willing to help you and uh, provide you with information. So anyway, I think we've walked back from that tangent. Tell me, give me some examples of things that, that the Enquirer has done through its service journalism.
1: Okay. It's a really broad range. As I'm, <laughs> I feel
0: like I've You have no narrow answers, <laughs> no, apparently. They're all broad.
1: Big big plans. Honestly, it's, it's actually just been really cool to tackle such a broad range of things because Just as an editor, it keeps me incredibly mentally engaged to have like such a broad range of topic to to edit. You know, obviously we've done a lot of COVID work over the last year. A lot of that has just been answering people's questions, like basic questions that people have about the rules and the science and how to make sense of it all, right? How to live right now is a really, a question that's very top of mind for a lot of people and has been, you know, even as we've gone through various stages of this pandemic, So that's been an ongoing project on the desk. We work really closely with our excellent food team to help uh, build out service pieces there. We did a series of articles last year on just how to safely summer in Philly in a pandemic, including like a collection of road trip stories to just help people like find safe ways to leave their house. And how to engage with this re- region, but still like with that really rigorous lens of like all of our health reporting, right? Like how to be safe right now, like how to, you know, actually leave your house and, and, and do so in a way that's not going to endanger yourself or others. We did a collection of tenants' rights pieces. So that covered everything from like rent increases to like what you need to know before signing a lease in Pennsylvania, how evictions work, um, like, can you get evicted for using medical marijuana, like all of these different topics, kind of breaking down how the actual laws work and who you can reach out to if, if, um, if your situation, if you need help, right? Um, What else? What else? We did an interactive timeline last summer um, of 200 years of history of police violence in Philadelphia against Black people. And that that falls more into the explainer kind of side of things, but it was really about like helping people understand the moment we were in, are in still, and how that connects to the broader narrative of the of this city. Uh, that was called the Black and Blue Project. It's kind of an, also an ongoing project, but was it a, a different style of service journalism, but like really very rewarding to work on. The last one I'll mention, is we did a how to vote guide last year, which was really just this big, giant, clear, comprehensive guide to everything you need to know to help vote. We were answering people's questions. People were really confused. Like they, you know, it was a lot of new systems, things were changing all the time. You know, there was a lot of news, a lot of just different shifts on like how it was gonna work until fairly late, I would say, in the process. People were scared they weren't sure what was going to happen they were concerned about their safety they were concerned about covid and we just calmly led them through the process we kept all the information fully updated which was uh, by the way a herculean task and you know it, the stakes were really high right i mean pennsylvania was a rather important state in the last election and you know the cool thing about that project too is we got this grant from the american press institute for which we are incredibly grateful, which allowed us to translate that guide into a number of different languages. We translate into Spanish, traditional Chinese, simplified Chinese, because those hit different communities here in Philly, and Vietnamese. And those are the next most read and spoken languages in Philadelphia after English. So we, we translated the entire guide and then kept all of those translations also updated. And that was just a really cool project to be a part of and was a, was a new one for us in a lot of ways, creating workflow on how to build that and how to translate that material and what that workflow is going to look like. So yeah, quite a range, quite a range of stuff.
0: Yeah. It's pretty amazing when you think about you know how local news outlets traditionally cover the news and, and how you know with covid you know and early voting and mail-in voting how things were so, com- so it became that much more complicated last year i know when i was working at patch that was something that all of the local editors had to sort of get on top of was making sure that every every community knew how, how and when and where to vote it's you know it's service but it's it's essential and the fact that you guys are you're from uh, philadelphia you're from pennsylvania that was a that was a hugely important state Towards the end and after the end, I guess for the last election. So, kudos for you. I think it, translating it into another language is that's that's a really smart step to take. I think.
1: Well, I mean, when we think about when we think about like how we're serving our communities, right? And especially when we think about something as big as important as a voting guide it's a natural place to kind of expand our work there. And the grant made that work really possible, which was, which we're just really grateful for. You know, it's that public interest mandate that we have when we're doing this kind of material, that's more than just like speaking to our existing readers, but like what, how can we actually help our city? How can we help people who live in this city navigate this extremely important process, right? I mean, you can't get more high stakes and more important than just the civic duty of, of voting. And, you know, how can we just make that a little bit easier for people to do? Especially, you know, last year when it was it was just it was just very hard. It was it was very confusing for a lot of people. They didn't know how it was gonna work. They weren't sure if they if they mailed in their ballots in time, if they were gonna count it. Like there were so many questions that we were hearing from people. And this was our way of kind of like pulling it all together and helping people navigate through all of the material all in one place.
0: Not just for the um, the election guide, but for just in general, how does the Solutions Journalism desk, how does it listen to the public? What are you doing to sort of establish those relationships and pathways to getting that information?
1: We listen in a lot of different ways and, and I don't think we do enough of it. I think we should do more of it. I think we need to find more ways to listen. You know i think that um our curious philly modules come in very handy here so we're a, a Harkin newsroom we as Harkin, as i'm sure many of your listeners know is a enables you to like put in an embed at the bottom of your story with a prompt and encourage people to kind of write to you directly and it's a really fascinating interaction to ask especially People who are coming to a newspaper to actually ask us a question that has not really been a traditional part of that interaction. And it's really nice to like find ways to subvert that. And um, Harkin has done a lot of really excellent work to support that kind of like reader listening and reader-focused reporting. So that's a really big one. That played a huge role in our COVID coverage. That played a huge, huge role in our in our voting guide and some of our election coverage. So that that's one piece of it. Um, You know, we also ideas come to us just through readers writing directly to reporters, to reporters on my desk. You know, they come to us from other reporters across the newsroom and what they're hearing from people. You know, we come up with ideas in response to what's happening in the news quite often. We also do a lot of research just with our excellent uh, we have an excellent SEO editor uh, on, in our newsroom who kind of helps us identify what people are looking for. and then working with our audience team as well. So you know, those are the sort of easier ways for us to do that kind of work. It's something that I'm really looking to expand on this year, like how we can better listen to the community and, and help us and help identify what those information needs are and how we can, how we can help fill
0: them. So when you get these questions or, or you get this sort of feedback from your SEO people or from comments or, or emails, what is it that that you look for in a project or a story that you can that you think you can apply sort of the, the solutions journalism discipline towards?
1: Hmm. <laughs> it's hard to answer just because because our work touches on so many different topics um you know i think that as a desk and we're service focused not solutions focused and there's like a little bit of a distinction there although certainly you know solutions is part of our work you know we really kind of like look at what we think we can add here like how easy the information is to find if it's harder to find i think that we have an opportunity to provide more value Um, you know, we see what other resources are out there. Um, you know, we, we also like, because we work in this space all the time, like really start to identify kind of themes that we're trying to build on. So, you know, I mean, we apply a certain amount of like rigor to ideas to sort of stress test them a little bit and see, you know, how many people they're affecting, like how, what the actual answers are, like what value we can kind of provide here it's through kind of conversations as a desk and kind of as a newsroom that we start to like think about where we can contribute on on ideas that kind of come in. And I mean, certainly what's nice about like the more, having more listening capability, you know, having ideas come to us through Curious Philly and having, you know, social producers flag stuff and, and writers and reporters flag stuff. You do start to identify like, you know what some of the themes are of like what people are struggling with and what what information people need and and that kind of makes it easier too like when you start to see those same kinds of themes like crop up in more than one place if that makes sense
0: yeah and since you you know mentioned it you know we've we've talked to several people over the years about solutions journalism what do you see is the difference between what you're doing then and, and how people tend to do solutions journalism
1: I mean, I think that there's certainly a lot of overlap. I think that solutions journalism can often just point to, you know, things that communities and organizations are doing uh, in response to problems. And I, I really like that model. This is really focused. Service tends to be a little more focused on the individual, like what the reader can actually do with this information on an individual level. Um, I mean, there's certainly an element of of overlap between the two, but, you know, as I understand solutions journalism, it's more, it's more like solving problems, like, you know, at the community organizational level and not necessarily like individual decisions that, that we can, that we can all make in our lives to like connect with resources or help solve problems on the individual reader level.
0: Okay. So tell me about Curious Philly what's your role in it and what is, you know, what is Cur- Curious Philly? Sure.
1: So Curious Billy, as I mentioned, is our Harkin project. We've had the program for a few years and you know, it's a fascinating program to be a part of. So I'm the editor who sort of runs that program under the, under the service desk. For a long time, we would get a lot of questions that were very observational in nature. So people would write in and say like, Hey, what's that thing on my street? you know, because it's Philly, like there's often like just a banana story behind it, right? And so we would sort of tell those stories. So we would sort of become like detectives, sort of solving these little mysteries for people, which I think is like a cool project, right? Over the past year, we've really refocused it to make it more about just straight listening for what people are struggling with. You know, those quirkier questions didn't quite feel like they were maybe as important In the middle of the pandemic, and certainly didn't seem to be what was top of mind for people who were writing in. So, you know, we really focused uh, focused it to to help listen to what people were struggling with right now. And, you know, it was incredibly valuable for us not just the not just the service desk, but also the newsroom, just on the whole, to just remind everyone that our readers are not always where we are. thinking back to like the beginning of the pandemic and of course like you know we're (laughs) reporters we are living and breathing this story every day we're reading and writing everything you know about it all the time and then we would get these questions in through curious philly like months into the pandemic that were things like is it safe for me to go into my backyard is it safe for me to open my windows and like that is like a stunning just moment to just stop and like, pull back for a second and just think, okay, where are our readers? Like, what are they struggling with? Oh, actually, it's about some much, much more basic things than we think than we are, right? Because like, naturally, because, you know, we're in the pandemic too. I think that there's that tendency to like write for ourselves a little bit. And I think that what Curious Philly really gave us was this really strong perspective of like, just how lost a lot of people were in the information, especially people who don't necessarily feel comfortable or confident, like reading an in-depth science article, you know, who may have difficulty navigating these new rules that are coming down about essential businesses and what's allowed to be open. And it was very overwhelming. Like it was very overwhelming for all of us, but certainly for some people who don't feel as comfortable or as confident, like reading the newspaper every day, you know, they were struggling with some really basic things. So, you know, for our COVID service coverage, we just really focused on those questions. We just really focused on giving clear, simple, straightforward answers to questions. And I think we did, I think we've done more than 200 stories that have kind of come in some way through the questions that people are really struggling with right now just on COVID, just on COVID in the last year, it's really been like an extraordinary amount of information that people really need. And some of it, you know, the answers sometimes end up being a little repetitive to us. But I think that it's still really important to just re-emphasize and reiterate. There's a sort of reassuring quality about that, I think, to just like, get people back to the fundamentals of like how to stay safe right now, how to keep themselves and their families safe right now. So, you know, that's how we really pivoted Curious Philly. And then we we used the same approach to, to address questions about the election and really just got in so, so many questions from people that again, were just so much more basic than we sometimes recognize as people who are highly literate and highly like news involved and news saturated, right? So now I think we're like we're pivoting back a little bit, so we'll probably you know do a little bit of a reset with Curious Philly and go back a little bit to um, to incorporating some of the quirky fun questions. Um, but you know its value as a listening tool last year was just tremendous, like just so valuable to the service desk, but also just the newsroom more broadly.
0: And that example, I mean, this shows what we were talking about before about the importance of listening. Because, you know, if you, you hadn't – if you didn't have you know, Curious Philly, if you didn't have that resource, if you weren't already willing to listen to people, you would have continued covering those stories in the way you would always cover them and not really maybe answer the questions that people really needed. So just being – opening yourself up for that, you know, to listen, that's a great thing. you got 200 stories. Some of them may have been repetitive, but those are 200 stories that meant something to somebody. So clearly there's value in that. I want to sort of wrap up here. Could you, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to take this type of approach with their newsroom or with the journalism that they're doing?
1: Oh, sure. I love this. This is like the service journalism about service journalism. Perfect. Uh, I'm I'm here for it. I would say do it. I would say do it today. (sighs) What would I say? Um, I would say work collaboratively as much as possible if you're in a newsroom. It's been really valuable for us to have this desk, uh, which I should say, we have three wonderful reporters, Elizabeth Wellington, Grace Dickinson, and Nick Vidala. And we're in the process of, of adding a second editor. It's been terrific to have this re- this resource, this group of people who are like format storytelling experts, service storytelling experts in the room. But you know, it's important to also like work across desks You know, I think that no one knows better what people need to know than the beat reporters who are covering those stories. They hear from people all the time. They just may may not be necessarily organizing their work that way, organizing their storytelling that way. I would also say that it's important to cultivate a culture of service journalism in the newsroom. It comes back to, as we've talked about, that focus on listening, figuring out what information your audience needs, and just encouraging just a little bit more of that kind of reporting, like either individually or kind of across desks. You know, it can often just be like a second story. It's a separate piece that's like broken down as a, a Q&A that's like really addressing the questions people have about a topic, um, you know, that that often doesn't even require that much more work for a reporter who's already reporting a story. It's not like you have to sort of re, you know, learn this whole new discipline. Like, I think that some of this work can be done with the information you've already gathered as a reporter um, working on a story. And then the last thing I would say is um, often some of the questions that people have that naturally come up you know, especially in the sort of news adjacent service piece, right? You know, that stuff where it's like people have questions about the story and we're going to do a service piece. It's really focused on those questions. Often there's there'll be one question where the answer is, well, we don't really know or, well, we don't really know yet. And I would say there's a tremendous service and tremendous value to just answering that way, you know, to just write that, to say, you know, here's the question that's on everyone's mind and the answer is we don't know yet and here's what we need before we will be able to know the answer here that's just a really human answer and i think that you know one of the real essentials about service journalism is like this is a really human discipline we are like giving people advice we're trying to become a trusted source for people in the same way that they turn to their friends to their family it's a much more personal interaction. It's a much more personal relationship. We use I and you all of the time, all the time in our stories, because like it helps people identify themselves in the news and it helps humanize, you know, the news to people. And so, I, you know, that's kind of my, I think that that's an important point to kind of consider. The last thing I would just say, you know, and it's one of the sort of fundamentals of the work that we do on the desk, like the two kind of fundamentals are, The stories need to be actionable and they need to be accessible. And accessible is actually like a really big umbrella that covers a lot of different, different considerations. But, you know, making your stories accessible and just thinking through like what that means is a really important part of this. And I don't think that that just benefits service pieces, I think that that benefits all writing, I think that that benefits all reporting. Um, to just think about like how can you make this a little easier for people to understand, a little more usable, a little easier for people to find the information that they need, a little easier for people to remember, a little easier for people to kind of navigate through, a little easier for people to see themselves in. You know, these are like the fundamental qualities that I look for when I edit this work, but I actually don't think that the utility here stops at service journalism. I think that it actually is just makes better writing, that makes our stories a little more essential, a little more valuable, a little more usable by our readers, no matter what the topic is.
0: Well, (laughs) those are a lot of great things to think about. Collaboration, humanizing stories for human beings and making them accessible. There's a lot in there. It says a lot about what we should be doing with journalism and how we tell our stories. And I I agree with you. This, you know, this is going to make our stories that much better, that much more useful. Megan, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a really fun conversation.
1: Oh, thank you so much. As you can tell, this is something I'm pretty passionate about. So thanks so much for, for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and